Hey there, and welcome to the Failure Guy podcast. This is Ben Currier, self-proclaimed world's number one failure. Join me as we take a look into the darker side of success. In this podcast, we'll learn about the hardest moments my guests faced and the failures they endured on their path towards making it. I hope you enjoy. Hey there, and welcome to episode six of the Failure Guy podcast. I am here today with Josh Bender. Hey there, Josh. How's it going? Hey, good, Ben. Yourself? Great to be here. I'm doing well. Do you want to tell the the listeners a little bit about yourself and maybe a little bit of context for some of the the, the good successes you might have had <laughs> over your over your career so that we can get a little bit of context? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, currently, I'm a co-founder of a travel and lifestyle website called Forever Break, so foreverbreak.com, and I've been running that for a bit over two years. Um, we did an official launch uh, earlier this year in February 2020, and uh, so I spend most of my time working on that. Uh, that includes photography and travel and various other fun things like that. Um, before that, I've also run a, another travel blog called travelwithbender.com. And uh, in a previous life, it feels like I was also a uh, web designer and online marketer. I ran my own um, agency in Australia and did that for eight years. So beyond that, uh, did other kind of IT and uh, web development work. I'm curious, did you, were you in you know, IT and, and working kind of a desk job and thought, well, I love travel so much. Let me figure out how I can make it a living or what was the, how'd you get that transition? Yeah, pretty much. I, I No one ever really told me about this concept of long-term travel. Uh, I was reading a book about uh, you know, running a business and taxation and other kind of uh, similar topics. And it, it sort of brushed along this topic of a perpetual traveler. And I, that was the first time the, the concept had really been introduced to me. And I was like, wow, what, people can do that. That's, that's pretty awesome. And at that point, I was, you know, working 60 hours a week, running my own business and went on a few vacations overseas each year, which I thought was great. I love travel. And uh, and so the sort of the penny dropped and the wheels started spinning. And I thought, well, why not do this um, traveling and working? Um, all I need is the Internet. Uh, I can talk to clients over the phone. Yeah, most of the work I did was just on my laptop. So what's really stopping me? And uh, I couldn't think of a particularly compelling reason. So. It took a little while, but um, started putting some things in place and got rid of most of uh, my stuff, uh, rented out the house that I owned at the time and uh, jumped on a one-way plane to Indonesia and never looked back. <laughs> that's, uh, that's super cool. I'm sure a lot of people don't even think that's a possibility. I'm curious for my listeners, maybe even myself, because I'm not sure, what would you describe as being long-term travel or perpetual travel that you just mentioned? What would be the, the basics of what that means? Okay, I guess for everyone, it's, it can take on a slightly different form. There's, there's no you know, perfect um, way of traveling. It, it really comes down to personal preference and style and personality and just really what you enjoy. So I don't think it's, it's about being inside of a box, but um, it's about really, I guess, another phrase that's more um, common these days is digital nomad. It's just having the flexibility of living where you want for as long as you want. So, for example, if you really don't like winters, then why stay in the Northern Hemisphere between December and you know, March, why not go somewhere like Asia or the Caribbean, somewhere South America, uh, Australia, somewhere where it's uh, a bit warmer. So you can basically, as I try to do, chase the sun most of the time. 
and uh, can have a very long summer that never ends. <laughs> yeah. Well, that sounds really cool. Is Have you found that it was a difficult transition from, you know, the quote unquote normal life to, you know, this more of a digital nomad? Yeah, I think so. Like for me, I was kind of preparing myself for it and um, mentally, not so much in the practical aspect. So when I did it, I actually did very little practical research, which was in hindsight pretty dumb. Hmm. Um, <laughs> I just thought, wow, I'm like the only person in the world doing this. Why not just yeah, do that? And then at the first place I stopped, I met a couple other people doing the same sort of thing. And I thought, wow, there's three of us doing it in the whole wide world. This is pretty amazing. Hmm. And then they introduced uh, me to other people who were doing the same thing. I was like, okay, all right, all right. I'm not the first person in the world to do this. I feel a little more sane because at the time, you know, friends or family, whoever I told was like, what, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? This just doesn't make sense. This is not the normal kind of life that you're told that you should want. It's not the Australian dream or it's not the American dream. So why are you doing this? Oh, you know, all the kind of uh, encouragement, like, you know, this is not going to work. You're going to fail, those sort of uh, things. And I'm, I'm just a really stubborn kind of guy. So I, <laughs> I said, I'm not listening to you and, and doing it anyway. Um, so, yeah, it, it's more of a mental journey than it is a physical journey. I found that it took a while to start to see life from a perspective that was outside of the bubble I grew up in. And that was probably the hardest part of the entire thing. And over a period of time, and I'm still kind of on that sort of journey now, um, eight years later, but it's, it's much, much easier now. It's realizing that, wow, the things that I sort of assumed were constants in this world or things that I thought were absolutes really aren't so much and there might be more than one way of doing something or you know i kind of grew up assuming you know this was the normal and way of doing things for example working 40 to 60 hours a week you know i thought that's what you have to do if you don't do it then you're lazy yeah and did you grow up in australia yeah yeah on the west coast in australia and right. to me it was just like it was a non-negotiable you had to do that if you didn't you were lazy and i'm not lazy so um, to be able to sort of let go of that concept and realize, okay, well, I can still feel productive and do things that I enjoy. And the amount of time I spend doing it isn't really what matters. What matters is feeling accomplished at the end of the day, having a positive impact on the world, um, that kind of thing. And, um, and so it, was, it, it took a, a while and there was a bit of a sort of mental gymnastics going, oh, well, I'm kind of, you know, struggling with it or straining with that. And a lot of um, dialogue going on saying, you know, how do I make sense of this? How do I come to terms with the things that's just one of many many things that I've taken for granted like yep that's the absolute right answer and then realizing maybe I should look at some of these things again and it kind of led me on a, a journey of rediscovery or self-discovery so go okay well if that's if that particular concept is flexible we'll call it then what else is what what have I just assumed is the absolute truth and and there's a better way of doing things and so I, I kind of learned from observing other people, whether they were also digital nomads or just local people I met in different countries and, and ask, why do they do things that way? What, what is the benefit of doing it? And maybe they have answers that I don't. And so trying to kind of learn, it's like the, the best possible university course that you can do is the, the, the journey of life and, yeah. uh, and learning from, from dozens and dozens of different countries. What's, what's the best of everything? I love that that mindset and that outlook. Was there something early on where you either had some kind of a trip that was pivotal in your life uh, to inspire you to do more travel or maybe some sort of, you know, TV show or something you consumed that made you think, well, I should really get out there and see 
more of the world, you know, before you even knew that you could live that life semi-permanently or even permanently, was there something early on that made you go, okay, I love travel and this is like something that I really enjoy? Yeah, I'd say um, it wasn't necessarily a TV show or an external influence. Um, I remember being on a vacation as I typically would be. Um, it was sometime, I think, around 2011 off the top of my head. And I was sitting in a hotel lounge. They were giving out free afternoon tea. And I thought, wow, that's pretty good. Free I'm Australian, anything for free is good. And uh, um, I remember sitting there and I had my phone out and I was calculating uh, how much the trip was costing. And it turned out that living in a five-star hotel with you know the room being made up every day and not having to do any cleaning or cooking, that sort of thing, is actually cheaper than living in Australia. And I think for me, that was the moment the penny dropped. And I'm like, why am I doing something where I have a lower quality of life and I have to work harder in order to get it? It just doesn't make any sense. So, you know, logically I went, okay, I'm sold. I want to do this, but it's more of an emotional transition to be like, okay, you know, there's things to sacrifice there, the network of friendships and things like that, that, you know, they may, may not have been ready at that time to say, Hey, I'm more than willing to keep in touch with you, even though you're not physically in the same city, but then, you know, if you're out of sight, you're out of mind. Um, so, there, you know, there was a bit of a journey. But I'd say if, that, if there was one particular moment, that would be it. And then there's sort of been smaller reconfirmations of that along the way. Um, and, and from that point, I just kind of look for inspiration wherever it comes up. One example would be uh, I love uh, cooking shows and Anthony Bourdain has is, is been a major inspiration for me because um, I didn't sort of grow up with a a love of food and cooking. I didn't quite get that from my mother, um, although she did a lot of great things for me. And so as I became a young adult and I had to teach myself to cook, um, I really started to, to love food and, and the creativity of uh, the way you could communicate with it. And so I remember watching an episode of um, one of Anthony Bourdain's shows and he went on a journey through Penang in Malaysia. And for me, I was like, I'd never heard of Penang. I was like, wow, this is pretty fascinating. And I was watching the food and what they experienced there. And I was like, that's it, I'm going to Penang. And that was it, that's all I needed. And being at that point, being able to be flexible enough to say, all right, just grab my stuff, pack it up and go. That's, that, that was sort of, uh, for me, a realization that, hey, this flexibility is really quite amazing. It's very cool. You can, you can do a lot more than just dream about it. You can just, just do it. There's less and less holding you down and holding you back from, from um, living your dream. Yeah, I think a lot of times people don't realize just how easy a lot of that is. You know, it's it's mm. just as simple as going and doing it. But we think that there's so many things holding us back, whether it's responsibilities or just mm. <clears throat> the craziness of the idea of it. Uh, but it's really yeah. cool that you embraced it and went with it. Do you think, you know, getting into kind of more of the theme of the podcast, you said that you kind of didn't read a lot of advice when you switch to that digital nomad lifestyle. Do you think there were specific things that you encountered, either um, failures or missteps or hiccups in that transition that you think you could have maybe avoided by seeking out some of that advice? Absolutely, absolutely. If I'd done it all over again, I would have definitely done a lot more reading um, at the beginning. Uh, and nowadays, you know, this is 2020, there's so much resources out there on the internet. There's YouTube videos about people who've done similar things and they've told their stories. And so there's really no excuse. In, in 2011 and 12, uh, there was a lot less. There's still people you know, who are doing it and they've been doing it since the 70s even. But there was definitely a lot fewer um, people doing that in a way that you could go, oh yeah, I'm not only inspired, but give me some practical advice. 
Um, and the people that were doing that sort of thing, I found the majority were, it was just a side hobby for them. You know, they might've run their own online business or they might've had a physical business where other people work for them. And, oh, you know, once a month, they'll just blog about it. And it wasn't a major focus for them. It was just a, a hobby to sort of pass an hour a month. But between that time and now, there's definitely a lot more people actively creating content around this particular topic. But um, yeah, so anyone wanting to do the same thing, I'd say start off by reading, start off by learning as much as you can. But at the same time, the danger on that is to go down this rabbit hole of I'm just going to read one more thing or watch one more video, you know, listen to one more podcast, no offense. <laughs> yeah. And uh, to delay. Yeah. And then I'll be ready when I, you know, feel confident about it. And the problem is you never ever get to that point and to take a big step like that. It's going to be scary. It doesn't matter which way you look at it. And if you wait until you're not scared, then you'll be waiting for the rest of your life. And so whenever someone's asked me for advice, you know, how do I get to that? The simplest thing I can say is book a ticket, a one-way ticket, do it three months, four months, five months, six months in advance, whatever, you know, works for you. And then that's it. You've locked yourself in, you're committed to it, you paid it and you're, you know, less likely to back out at that point. And then you kind of <laughs> scramble to uh, learn what you have to do and get the logistics in place to uh, make it work. And so yeah. that's kind of what I did. I did. I started with a very fixed date in mind. Um, I was planning on renting out my house. A friend of a friend had moved over from a different country and, and they were visiting and they looked at the house and said, hey, can I rent that from you? I was like, well, I actually wasn't ready to move out until, you know, a few months down the track. But if you want it in one month, then sure, why not? And there's nothing stopping me from doing that. So it kind of pushed forward my, um, my departure time. And that was when you decided already to to yeah, yeah. You know, embrace that permanent traveler lifestyle? Yeah, exactly. I still had to do things like selling a car and those sort of uh, logistical things, but it just made things have to work all that much faster and I worked harder on it. And sure enough, I got out in time and there was no problem. So um, yeah, having, having a deadline helps. Yeah, let's go back to when you were just starting this trip, the month after he said that he wanted to rent it and you're embarking on your trip. From that point, until you feel like you understood what was going on with the with the that travel lifestyle, what were some of the big hurdles you you encountered along the way? Yeah, I guess the first six months, especially, and definitely the first year, um, there was a lot of questioning myself because for the first time, I'd for an, I'd been out of this bubble that I'd uh, grown up in for an extended period. You don't really get the same effect when you go on a one or two week holiday somewhere. You still sort of bring that bubble with you and that way of thinking and just have a great time, cram it all in. You've got a lot to do, a lot to see. Uh, and then you go back to where you came from and decompress and, and absorb all the, those experiences. So uh, it's quite a different experience traveling where there is no going back. There's just the current present moment. And so it requires kind of uh, a new way of thinking, new way of processing things and finding, I don't think the, the right word is coping mechanisms, but just um, healthy patterns to be able to process what's going on around you to be aware to be present to be mindful and being open because you know occasionally not it doesn't happen very often but i come across people who travel a bit and they're very closed off to what is going on around them and they try to tell everyone what's wrong with them rather than saying hey how can i learn from you but you know honestly that's that's a rarity mm -hmm. um so i guess it's, it's starting with the right attitude and the right mindset and saying look i'm willing to learn from people who may not be as educated as me may not have as much money as me may not have gone to the same sort of schools as me, whatever it was, um, may not have the same kind of job as me. And um, so that that decision made 
the transition much, much easier. And I still very distinctly remember uh, being in Bali, Indonesia and walking past some shopkeepers. They were both sitting, there's two of them sitting outside the front of their shops on the steps, you know, short, short staircase. And they were just chatting to each other in, in the local dialect. And to me, I literally stepped out of, and I still was in a 60 hour work week kind of mindset. And I was looking at them just going, you know, if they'd worked harder or they try harder, then they could have more money and they wouldn't have to, you know, live a certain kind of quality of life. They'd have better, better, you know, car or motorbike, they'd have nicer houses, they'd have this, they'd have that. And so for me, it was kind of coming from a judgmental point of view. And I recognized that. And that was uh, early, very early on the first few weeks of, of this journey. And within about one to two months, I remember a very distinctive change in my way of thinking because I was watching them and I got to learn about how they lived, their family structures, the way they spent their time, their religious ceremonies, um, and actually visit some of their houses. And I realized that they had this sense of community and, there was peace, there was harmony, there was balance. A lot of things that was lacking from my life at that time. And I was like, wow, actually, I think these guys have got it. They've learned something about what's really important in life. And actually I was wrong. And these, these expectations that I'd sort of grown up with was maybe, you know, not really the best way of doing things. And so from that point, I went, okay, well, I'm gonna value, you know, community relationship, connection, harmony, much, much more and less so what's the um, bank balance like. So, um, so that was just like one of many lessons I've sort of learned, but that was definitely, us, I think the first big one and the starting point from where that came after that. Yeah, I think it's easy for people who don't necessarily travel a lot or who are just uh, switching you know, into a more travel prone lifestyle. It's easy to think of the differences between uh, yourself and where you're going and think of them as, as almost lesser just because mm. it's so different from what you're used to, but usually you can learn a lot from them in ways that you might not have expected, you know, in advance. Absolutely. I'm curious, how much planning in advance did you do? So did you even know like the next place you'd be going or how'd you, how'd you figure out what your next steps were or did you just yeah. take it literally one day at a time? Very good question. Yeah. For the first six months I'd planned out uh, exactly where to go. So I knew it was going to be in this city for this time in, booking accommodation up to six months in advance. And so that kind of gave a sense of a safety net. Like I knew what was going on. This is all a bit big and scary. Mm -hmm. um, and it gave a little bit of predictability. Um, and at that point, that just helped the, the transition to go from a very, you know, routine driven lifestyle to completely, you know, open would have been just too much of a jump for me at that particular point. Uh, so having some sense of, um, you know, knowing what was going to happen next, it made things feel a little more accessible. And after that six months, I realized, you know, this wasn't all that scary. Um, hey, I'm still alive. I haven't died yet. I haven't, you know, got terrible food poisoning or some sort of, you know, tropical disease or something like that. Um, so yeah, it was like, okay, we can keep on going. There's, there's nothing stopping, nothing, no reason why I have to go back to Australia. And uh, so I just kept on going from that point and just sort of took it about one month at a time. Um, started to plan, you know, where would I like to go after this and moving, I think after Southeast Asia for uh, about six months, decided, okay, well, I want to head to North America and um, started making plans a, a month or so in advance for that. Um, but pretty much from that point, it was largely month to month. Um, I did uh, a large road trip around the United States, which required a bit more planning ahead. 
but um, it, it really depends. Some months were, you know, one month ahead. Uh, and then as uh, I went further down the, this journey and uh, some years down the track, uh, my travel blog started getting more popular, getting more work through that and sponsorships and campaigns. And so sometimes that would be booked a bit further in advance, but um, often I would have, you know, an event or uh, a campaign or a location that had to be planned four or five months in advance, but I didn't know what I was going to do between now and then. So it was kind of like an anchor point I could plan towards and work my way through some different cities or countries to get to that point. And so I found that was also quite helpful um, in terms of giving some structure and organization. So I just wasn't wandering around aimlessly going in circles. Yeah. I think that's great advice about, you know, if you're pursuing that kind of life or, or even just going into a bit more travel, having it um, planned out at first can be a bit more grounding or at least uh, like that safety net you were talking about. Cause I think I've only been on a couple major trips, but one of them was with my cousin. We went to Europe and we went like kind of backpacking all over Europe, uh, but we had like a big spreadsheet of all the different places we were going to and, and what days and, and all of our travel was booked in advance and stuff. And of course it didn't go as planned, but it's still really nice having that because otherwise it's too, especially if you haven't traveled much, it's too uncertain. It's too unfamiliar and it, it can feel too much to even get started if you don't have a little bit of a plan. So I think it probably makes sense to kind of ease into it and maybe grease the wheels a bit. Definitely, definitely. And it helps to have a little bit of a savings kitty so that, you know, if things go wrong and you need to change your plans, you've got the ability to do so. Obviously, having travel insurance uh, is part of that. Um, just as a bit of a side note, if someone who's thinking about doing this, a listener, um, already has travel insurance, say, through their credit card or um, they use a particular typical you know, off-the-shelf um, travel insurance product just to be careful and mindful of checking the fine detail because as I found out in my first six months, um, I assumed that my credit card gave me a certain amount of travel insurance and it turned out that they only did that if you returned back to your home base within a certain number, amount of months and after that, they wouldn't insure me anymore. Hopefully you found that out because not because they didn't pay, but because you maybe read it eventually or how'd you find that out? I found out because I had to pay for something, <laughs> but I, I didn't make that mistake twice. Yeah, that's, and do you primarily, I, I imagine you mostly travel by plane unless you're maybe in Europe, there's the Euro rail and stuff like that, but I know you do a lot of biking. Is that a way you travel or is that more like a leisurely thing? No, no, if I do bike riding, it's, it's usually just um, around a particular city for a bit of exercise. Um, it depends on the region. It's either flying if, it's, if there's no way of getting between places like Southeast Asia uh, or boats sometimes um, for shorter trips or cruises occasionally uh, and I, i'm a big fan of road trips particularly in like north america or europe well so you said you went on a road trip in the u.s was there anywhere specifically on that trip that you really enjoyed well hard to say <laughs> there's a lot of uh, a lot of really you know amazing places in the united states and also i uh, went to canada uh, as well so at that time i uh, with a visa i could stay in the united states for six months at a time um so we sort of have to jump over to canada and then could reset the visa and come back into the United States. Uh, sure. Well, rather than put you on the spot for picking a favorite, did you go to Colorado at all? That's where I happen to be at the moment. Uh, yeah, yeah, I did. Uh, the southwest corner of it. Now, I'm, I'm, I've been to quite a few cities and places. So I'm trying to remember off the top of my head the names. I'd have to refer to Google Maps to go with the, uh, uh, the name of the city. If you, if you hit me with a name, I might go, yeah, that's it. I remember Mesa Verde. Yeah, uh, yep, that, that's I mean, down there. I'm honestly, I mean, so I've only lived here about six years. I'm from Boston, Massachusetts originally, so I can't say it's it's such a huge state compared to where I'm from, but 
there's so much great nature. I know you do a lot of photography. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. I, I, I actually cheating. I looked up on my phone. It was Durango. Oh yeah, yeah. Durango's great. Yeah, yeah. So we did, went on a train ride up there. Um, did a bit of a the road trip. Sort of went from at that point from uh, east to west, and then kept on going through to um, Utah. But uh, yeah, I very very much remember the nature of Colorado. It's absolutely beautiful. Yeah, it's it's amazing how much, at least, well, since I'm from the U.S., uh, I probably take it for granted. But just how many different mm-hmm climates and nature setups there are in the in the united states because it's just such a vast area with you know different climates and such if i had to pick one spot and there's only one spot united states i could go to i'm definitely a fan of nature and um southern utah would be it and there's all the the national parks there yeah beautiful Uh, did you go moab and all that yeah yeah moab was probably the the highlight with archers national park um, Mm -hmm. canyon lands i think i've been to that region twice now so uh, if you said, Josh, you've got one week to live, where would you like to go to travel? That would be it. Southern Utah, take me there and then bury me there afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> it's a beautiful place for sure. I have a um, a question that I like to ask most of my guests, which is, let's say, so not related to photography or travel, it could be tangentially related, but you know, I'm going to give you what I call a get out of fail free card where you can basically <laughs> go in future in time and, and be good at some sort of a hobby or career or something that you've always wanted to, to go after, but you've always been scared because it seems like it would be something that was either difficult or rife with failure. Is there something you would pursue if there was no way to fail at it? Wow. That's a really good question. Um, I hadn't really deeply thought about that. Well, so just to give you a couple examples, I either say like stand up comedy cause it's so scary or even doing, um, so I play guitar and drums a little bit, but, being a musician is so scary because you got to like go put yourself out there in front of everyone. It's like very easy to not succeed at. So those kind of things, if, if I had a guarantee of succeeding, I'd probably pursue it a bit more. Yeah. Um, I, I would probably sound very weird in answering it this way, but I don't feel like there's anything fear wise that holds me back. So if there isn't something I haven't done yet, it's mainly because I haven't created the opportunity to do that. Well, maybe it's something you don't think you would be good at, like maybe acting or creating clothing. I don't know what it is. Is there something you think you'd like if you could be good at it, but you really don't think you have any ability? In an alternative universe, one thing I wouldn't be good at is acting because I have a terrible short-term memory. I remember trying to look at a script once and saying, how do people remember an entire thing like this off the top of the head? Off the top of the head. I can kind of get like two or three sentences. And then as soon as I put something new in there, it pushes out what was there already. So I'm like, no, I would fail immediately as an actor. I'd be like, please read me the next line, next line, <laughs> yeah. next line. It's hard enough to remember it when it's just something you need to memorize, but also to perform it in front of people. I'm sure that adds a whole exactly. level of. Yeah, exactly. You've got to think about other things. Like I've got to interact and look at this other person and focus on them and being in this situation or, you know, running around or whatever it's about. And then remember the lines on top of that. Yeah. Like, and showing yeah. emotion and all that. Yeah. I'll, I'll be I'll be terrible. I'll fail at that instantly. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So let's say you could go back um, 10 years ago and maybe give yourself some advice that you could have benefited from. Is there something specifically you'd, you'd tell yourself in order to help avoid some of the, the catastrophes and pitfalls? <laughs> um, yes, probably the main one. I wouldn't be able to say on a recording. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it might get me into trouble, but, uh, like in terms of quality of life and, and all the other things that I've learned 
about myself since that point, I would say, just don't let fear hold you back. It's, it's um, so easy and so comfortable to be in a place of like, no, that's not for me. No, that's too hard. No, that's too scary. No, that's too expensive and come up with every kind of excuse under the sun. But I, I think the, the, the number one thing would be don't let fear rule your life. Um, and I wouldn't say that from a perspective of, you know, I was a super fearful person before that, but you don't really know what you don't know. And then I didn't realize at that point how much of my decision-making was driven by a scarcity mindset. And, you know, I think a lot of people can relate if they're growing up in a capitalistic society like the US, Canada, Australia, UK, it's very focused on material gain, what you can get in you always don't have enough and so you have to get a bigger house or a better car or nicer clothes or there's this constant strive towards that and it creates this sense of like i'm not good enough i need to keep consuming in order to feel content and satisfied and the entire economy is driven by that same sort of concept uh so to sort of detach from that and realize no i'm actually just fine the way i am it doesn't matter what clothes i wear it doesn't matter what brands i have what sort of car i drive to find true value in really what, what matters in life, that's what I've found is, is huge. So to tell myself that, I would, I would probably save myself a whole lot of hassle, that's for sure. Yeah, it seems like but, you've kind of learned to rise above the societal pressure of, of different, I guess, yeah. social structures. Yeah, and, and it might sound easy in hindsight, but certainly wasn't quite so easy at the time. So, uh, yeah. I would definitely tell myself to let, let go of fear. And if I could say one other thing, if I get to cheat and say two things. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> I think for me over the last 10 years, the one thing I've, if I could really sum up the most important thing I've learned is that I really am who I am already. The only thing that's holding me back from my true self is stuff that gets in the way. And fear is one of those things um, that, that the way forward, the way of progression or enlightenment, whatever someone wants to stick a word on it or a label, it's not about acquiring anything. It's only about releasing and letting go. And the more that gets released, the more that get let's go, let, let go, the more the true self comes through. It's, there's a barrier that we've acquired from years and years of living in this world and a culture that isn't really attuned to this sort of thing. And we've just kind of got all these blockages and things in the way. So the, every single day, the, the question I ask myself is, how do I become a better version of myself? How do I be the best me I can be? And often that will involve, you know, questioning like this, what have I held on to that is not really productive or helpful? What, what, what idea, concept, what um, emotion and, um, and letting go. And that has been a truly sort of liberating experience. And it doesn't really require someone to travel. It's like a journey but it, it's more of a journey for yourself inside. Yeah, no, I think that's great because I, I agree. I think a lot of it is about usually acceptance and accepting yourself for who you are because people, a lot of people will think that self-doubt is not a normal thing or, or that a lot of other people have more confidence and, and think they have their stuff together, but really no one knows what they're doing and, and self-doubt is certainly normal. So it's more about accepting who you are and moving from there rather than battling with who you are and trying to change that for, you know, based on the pressures of, you know, your friends or society or whatever it is. Yeah, absolutely. That's so true. So true. And so I know you, you have your own podcast and I, I 
I believe you started it at the beginning of this whole pandemic or just before, and you had to pivot uh, probably substantially because it's a travel-based podcast. <laughs> Do you want to uh, give the listeners a little bit of insight as to the idea of the podcast as it started and how that morphed over time? Sure, sure. So it sort of comes down to the, the foundation of uh, the business I'm working with and in at the moment, uh, Forever Break. And I learned a lot of lessons from travel blogging for eight years, um, focusing on travel with Bender.com. And I sort of wanted to take those lessons and put them into a new project and make it far better than whatever I could have been in the past. And take you know, all these amazing travel experiences, uh, all these other lifestyle experiences that I've benefited from. And so how can I sort of condense that into a form that, that is easy to digest, that people can really feel inspired by and equipped because I, I didn't use the, that kind of resources around me when I started um, this kind of journey. And so uh, that was sort of the, the starting point of, of Forever Break. And initially I didn't have a plan to do a podcast in the short term. Um, started creating some content and um, I bumped into a really nice couple, uh, Leanne and Corey, and uh, they're from the US and, and the UK. Uh, and they happened to ask me if I wanted to be a guest on their podcast. And I was like, sure, why not? And uh, spoke to them for a little while. And uh, they're great, absolutely great people, wonderful people. And uh, they have also been traveling a fair bit themselves and sort of shared some stories. And after the uh, discussion, um, Corey asked me if I was interested in a podcast for Forever Break. And at the time, I had my head down, bum up, um, working on content, on photography, was traveling uh, quite a bit. This is uh, late last year, 2019. Um, and so for most of 2019, the travel pace was fairly fast going around Europe and, and Asia. And so it was kind of a, in, a, in a mode of having a lot of experiences and collecting a lot of content, taking a lot of photos, and then was sort of ready soon after that to sort of sit down and then digest through all that and start to put together some of the articles that we wanted to do. Um, so after having that chat with them, they said, well, uh, if you want to run a podcast, we can certainly, you know, help with that. And I realized at that point that this would be a fairly significant undertaking. I also knew that there was a lot of opportunity to take some of the content and the lessons that we've learned and some of their experiences and put it together and sort of create something pretty cool. Uh, so we decided to embark on that and I've started putting together a script and a plan for what the first season would look like. Uh, and I, you know, I listened to a couple other podcasts at that point and I thought, okay, well, let's sort of think outside the box. And we've got an opportunity to do something a little different from the regular kind of podcast because of my background in web design and online marketing. I wanted to really tightly integrate the website and the podcast together. So they would sort of feed off each other and you'll be able to get a much richer experience rather than just audio only or rather than just reading only, it could be a boat. And, uh, and so from that, we, we put together some destinations and locations, the kind of um, you know, tips that we wanted to talk about, wanted to have a very practical kind of layer to it so that it wasn't just like, oh, I feel inspired and oh, you can travel like me, then off you go. It's more so exactly how to do that because I find that that lacks in a lot of travel blogs. It's like, look at me, I'm wonderful. You can do it too, yay, yay, yay. But then how do you get to the, the, the nuts and bolts of it? And how do you mm -hmm. overcome these fears? And th these are all part of it that aren't essentially travel. It's more, I guess, would fall under the, the umbrella of lifestyle. And that's why I wanted Forever Break to be focused on one foot in each 
um, side is both the trouble and the lifestyle because to me it hasn't been able to separate one from the other you can't have an open mind and you know be willing to let go of fear and things like that um, without sort of doing something that scares you and for me that that pathway was trouble it doesn't have to be but so I thought, okay, well, travels are sort of something I'm familiar with. I understand the, the ins and outs of that. And um, this would have been between December and January. And we started to write the script, started to do a bit of recording. Uh, it sounded fantastic. I was really happy with it. I was approaching some sponsors that, that I dealt with before and saying, hey, would you like to advertise in our podcast? I know it's brand new, but you know, I've got a background in this and been doing it for a long time. So I've got an existing audience I can tap into. And uh, then, you know, there was some reports in the news about this new virus that had come out that's been sort of emerging from China. And uh, I thought, oh, you know, that's going to blow over. And then everything just keeps going. And then February comes around and we're getting further into the recordings and realise that towards the end of the month that this isn't quite blowing over the same way that we had expected. And, uh, and so uh, within a relatively short amount of time, we had to sort of come to a point of, asking ourselves what's the point of recording a really practical travel podcast when most people might not be able to travel for a significant amount of time uh, it would just kind of either sit there or at worst it'll torture people to go oh you know i would like to go somewhere but i can't and i don't really want to be you know in the business of torturing people so hmm. um we made a strategic decision as a team to shift focus and uh, and sort of focus on the lifestyle and that was you know, in the back of my mind, one of the benefits of covering both uh, kinds of topics is that it wasn't just a one-dimensional publication or one-dimensional story, that we could really tell something deeper, something more meaningful. Um, and so I realised at that point something that the world desperately needs more of and will really help in a lot of ways is mindfulness. If, if I could put down everything I had learned, everything I benefited from, into like a very simple digestible concept, it would be mindfulness. Basically being in the present moment, aware of what we're doing and thinking and saying, you know, what's the effect of doing this? What's the effect of eating that? What's that effect of going there? And then helping from that point in perspective to make better choices and decisions. Uh, so we decided to focus on the theme of mindfulness for the first season. And uh, at that point, we'd already had the full script written, we had the plan, and we're like, chuck it out, start again. And so there's a new structure that we needed. Um, we needed to have uh, new guests. And so within a period of about one month, we went from completely blank slate to have booked in over a dozen different guests, done the interviews, recorded it, and they're in the process of being edited and, and sort of put together. And so it was quite a remarkable turnaround to go from what could have been a significant failure uh, to something that I think the entire team was proud of. And so when I look back on it afterwards, I'm like, wow, that was pretty amazing that we got some of these kinds of this caliber of, of guests onto a podcast that didn't have any experience in terms of industry and it didn't have any experience in terms of previous seasons to refer to. Um, but, you know, me, I'm sometimes a little bit gutsy and so I, I thought, why not aim high and, and, and go for it? And um, so some, some of the guests that we got on board, um, I think probably if I had to pick one and don't tell them which one's my favourites, but um, I think it's episode six and is about uh, epigenetics. And so to me, that was a relatively newish concept. I'd heard about it a couple of years ago, but really sort of getting a bit more knee deep into it. It's hugely um, helpful 
I think for, it can it can touch on almost everyone's life in one form or another. And if it's not directly with yourself, it can definitely be with people that you know around you that you care about. Um, and there's so little uh, awareness of this particular topic, um, and it drastically affects uh, the way that people think and they feel in relationships. Um, and so I think it's the kind of topic that needs a lot more airtime and exposure. And uh, and I remember listening to it after it was recorded and I got like goosebumps and chills running down my arms. And I was like, wow, this is absolutely amazing. Um, and so, you know, the, the guest on that was a New York Times bestseller. He's um, hugely influential in that sphere. And we've had other ones who uh, are, you know, some of the industry leaders in terms of ideas like um, highly sensitive people uh, who are, are attribute or a, a trait of, uh, that some people have, that their nervous systems work in a certain way that's a bit different from the average person. Um, and again, that's still a relatively emerging um, field of understanding for definitely for the largest part of Western culture. We, um, we think of people who have this kind of trait as unusual, strange, shy, and in fact, they can be some of the most insightful uh, people around. And um, so it's very misunderstood character trait and, and physical trait. And uh, so there's those sort of topics all the way from there to yoga, to meditation, to nutrition, to money, to, uh, we try to cover as much as we could within the season from a range of different guests. And, uh, and sort of what we walked away with was um, a really broad uh, touch on the idea of mindfulness of the concept and seeing how it could become practical in different sort of ways. Because it's such a, at the same time, a broad topic. Okay, I like the idea of mindfulness. How do I actually uh, put it into practice? And so we try to tackle that from um, a range of different angles. And uh, so, yeah, that's been um, quite a remarkable journey, um, going from something that I thought was going to crash and burn to something that uh, myself and the team who created it was extremely proud of. Yeah, I love that. I love it because you don't think of mindfulness as being something that's necessary for travel until you really kind of think about it a bit more in depth because we you know we usually when we're at home and we're in our comfort zone we're trying to kind of avoid being mindful or seeking some sort of escape but a lot of times mm. with travel you have to be present in the moment to even experience and enjoy a lot of what you're doing so yeah, i think it's a really yeah, great so you know tangent for you guys to take in the meantime, until, you know, there's uh, the ability to travel more extensively comes back. But I think it's a cool way to give people kind of, you know, inner habits and mindsets in order to help them for when that that ability comes back. Absolutely. And, and it's practical now in the sort of challenges that the world faces with the coronavirus. And, uh, you know, mindfulness is definitely a key part of it, how to weather a storm. Yeah. And it certainly helps in all parts of life. So even if you're not traveling, it, it yeah. can only benefit you. Absolutely true. So I only have just one more question for you. I was curious, what is it that you hope to fail at next? What is the next big endeavor <laughs> that you're uh, pursuing that you're hoping will work out uh, You know, in your favor? It's not skydiving. I don't want to fail at that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's got a very small margin of failure. Um, well, yeah, I guess I've got to think about what, uh, what to do. I guess a lot of people right now at this stage are focusing on the short term because they're like, oh, let's just get through and survive the next, you know, six to 12 months. Um, but I think when this, um, start, this, this pandemic started rolling out, 
is immediately the people who are around me, I said to him, this is an amazing opportunity. Uh, it's just in disguise is right now, there are going to be people who pull out of the travel industry from all the way from single operator tour people all the way through to huge airlines. There's going to be a lot of suffering going on, unfortunately. It's part of the cycle and it's part of this, um, what, what is going on. It's just a kind of a reality for, for a lot of people. But at the same time, I kind of take a leaf out of Warren Buffett's book is that uh, every time some other people are scared is a time to be greedy. And when other people are greedy, it's a time to be scared and to say, right, we can grow something right now that is unique, that is genuinely helpful um, at a time when other people are sort of pulling back on their efforts to promote themselves, to promote the publications. And so that's been um, a, a sort of a key focus for 2020 is, is getting uh, more exposure onto our content and building up an audience that really resonates with um, with our ideas and the way that we see the world. Um, yeah. so, so we can be more helpful. In terms of what where, where that goes on to next, um, failure is uh, what I want to fail at next is is really becoming in the direction of the next, um, uh, not even the next, a, a new generation of travel publication that goes to play, places where other people may not be necessarily comfortable with. It's, it's not quite a National Geographic or a lonely planet, but it takes elements of the best of all of them and then puts together um, concepts like this mindfulness and, and lifestyle health, um, you know, uh, things like veganism, um, environmental issues that are all crucial and, and to all of our survival. And, uh, and they discuss them with a sense of um, I think the word is, it's not judgment and trying to do the exact opposite. It's coming across as a place of understanding and commonality and going, look, we're all in this game together. Why not, you know, see what we can do to be more unified rather than more divided. So if there's one thing I don't want to fail in is being divided. It happens. It's very apparent in the United States right now, mm -hmm. and it can happen at the individual level. That's really where it starts is being divided inside oneself. And that's sound, might sound strange. It's not such an external thing of failing at, but I don't want to fail at, at, at unity. Yeah. yeah, I think, you, and so, just, just like what you were saying, you, sorry, you got to start from within in order to affect, you know, other people. Yeah. The last thing I want to do is uh, fail at focusing on unity at the individual level and then everything that flows out of that in relationships and friendships and, further afield from that because then if you don't have that then everything else becomes kind of pointless and useless yeah no i agree and and i'm curious so is i know you've got foreverbreak.com is there any other places that our, our listeners can take a look and see what you're working on these days yeah sure if they want to have a listen to the podcast it's on pretty much every platform you can think of apple Podcasts, google Podcasts. A cast, anything with the word cast in it, it's probably hmm. there too. <laughs> and that's called Forever Break as well, right? For, yeah, Forever Break. Uh, and you can find the podcast on that web, uh, our website as well. Um, you can listen to it there as well as um, more supporting content uh, about each of the topics, including more details about the guests who appear on it. Uh, also, we're quite um, active on Twitter, Forever BRK, because the whole Forever Break is already taken, so we went with something shorter. Uh, also on uh, Facebook. Uh, but we prefer to focus the content, uh, a lot of it, on uh, on the website because um, I think a growing percentage of us are aware of the negative impacts of social media. So 
I try to keep my social media time to an absolute minimum where possible. And so I'm trying not to encourage too many people to go to Facebook, but you know, mm-hmm. if they're already there, sure enough, yeah. we'll share articles on there. I'm actually a big fan of uh, Telegram. So if anyone okay. hits our website, they'll notice at the bottom a link to Telegram and there's a channel where it's possible to be notified about new articles that we produce and publish. And it doesn't have all the um, stalking kind of stuff that Facebook has. So mm-hmm. yeah, much more secure. Very cool. Well, I'll make sure to put those in the show notes. And I just wanted to thank you for coming on the podcast and being vulnerable and sharing some of your your highs and lows with, with the listeners. And I certainly wish you a lot of success in both your podcast and your website and everything else, all your future travels, because I'm sure you're going to do some crazy and amazing things. Thank you so much, Ben. It's been an absolute pleasure. And thank you for taking the time and giving me the opportunity to, um, to chat with you. It's been brilliant. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining me on the Failure Guy podcast. If you enjoyed it, feel free to tell somebody. And don't forget, always try to fail it till you nail it. Till next time.